Blog Talk Radio. Hey! Okay. 
Uh, one of the things when we when we talk about the state of capitalism, we cannot talk about capitalism without understanding the destructive aspect of capitalism. In fact, there's this um, uh, distinct destructive narrative that runs through capitalism, and whether we choose to believe it or not, uh, one of the things that are very clear: the uh, essential, the 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 impairment uh, confronting humanity in terms of global warming, in terms of um, uh, famine, in terms of um, human relationships, in terms of, uh, in terms of education, in terms of people's ability to eat. All those things that are so germane or so important to human beings are being undermined by a system that essentially has no interest in terms of um, supporting uh, these, these, kind, these kinds of ideas. And as a consequence, it means that... Um, the destructive element, you know, of capitalism has tremendous pull, tremendous sway in terms of its ability to determine who lives and who dies. And so in talking about destructive instinct, I thought it was important that people, you know, understand clearly in terms of destructive nature of capitalism because some decisions have to be made. But having said that, Brother Africa, here's the thing. Now, the pension for death and destruction is embedded in capitalism. The roots of such proclivities lies in historical narrative that altered during the time of popes and their resistance to new ideas. Prior to the emergence of popes, a mentor, a comedic concept, sought to elevate the psycho-spiritual dimensions of humans by emphasizing the interconnectivity of all things. Implicit in this concept was the notion of arbitrary distinction among people, ethnicity, class, etc., were at odds of humans reaching their highest selves. This belief system up until the Enlightenment age was rejected by popes which proclaimed the individual as the center of the universe. By elevating individualism, according to German philosopher, scientist, Leibniz, the opportunity to appreciate the unconscious mind impact on human behavior meant elevating me, myself, and I, great implications for human affairs, and that behaviors considered rational are potentially destructive to others and ultimately the practitioner of individualism. Now, the shortcomings of hyper-individualism are recognized by various states in the global community. Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, along with the former configurations of Libya and Yugoslavia, have greatly limited the adverse impact of individualism whereby the wealth of individuals could not be used to impose slave-like conditions on the poor. However, in the U.S., social political conditions far exceed a demeaning life for the poor. It consists of systematic degradation of the poor, resulting in poor health care outcomes, housing, and quality education, leading to early death of poor people. There are a confluence of historical factors attesting to the American character and the evolution of its institutions, but the philosophical views held by many elites, which undergirds the system of capitalism, are seldom explored. Three individuals have contributed to the destructiveness of capitalism by legitimizing the selfish impulse have greatly impacted the powerful, including Alan Greenspan, former chairperson of the Federal Reserve, Clarence Thomas, current acting Supreme Court judge, and Donald Trump. Implicitly misembrace of individualism is the negation of, of and value of life. And like the capital ethos, all things are expandable, including, including humans. Now, the three individuals I'm referring to specifically are Ayn Rand, Harry Frankfurt, and Elon Musk. Now, in reference to Ayn Rand's, her objectivism sees morality as a humanistic pursuit, doing whatever makes one feel good. One's only measure of morality lies internally, and the impact on others is unimportant. This indifference to life with an emphasis on individualism, again, individual gain, is precisely why the planet is being rendered uninhabitable for life. 
Oil and gas companies, by virtue of their tax breaks, enjoy tremendous profits and uses those profits to pay off politicians who report policies undermining climate change initiatives from the U.N. As a consequence, the, po- the politicians' pursuit of individual financial gain, the planet suffers. Recently, suddenly confirmed tornadoes struck eight western and southern U.S. states, averaging 75 miles per hour. Another climate crisis occurred in India and Pakistan when surface temperatures reached over 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Ironically, the doomsday clock established by Bulletin Atomic Scientists is currently set at 100 seconds to midnight. And despite the devastation confronting humanity, it's business as usual. In other words, the rights of a small minority supersedes life itself. Unfortunately, the rights of a small group of individuals are encoded in law expressly spelling out why individual interest is sacrosanct. Little wonder the 93 nuclear actors in the U.S. on average 25 years of age uses counterfeit parts and is unaccountable to state agencies. Uninsured because of the danger they pose in terms of fires, waste storage, and licensing requirements, it's no concern of owners of nuclear power plants because they're profitable and life is inconsequential. The Lancet Planetary Health Journal released a study showing two-thirds of the U.S. community waters contaminated by uranium. Reports state that contamination is pervasive in semi-urban areas where most nuclear power plants are located. Despite ailments like hypertension, cardiovascular disease, kidney damage, and lung cancer, despite significant concentration levels of uranium in the water, the report concluded very little research is being conducted. Now, the second person I want to highlight is this question is Harry Frankfurt. Now, Harry Frankfurt is a philosopher formerly at Princeton University. He takes a position it is irrational to think inequality is a problem. Ironically, inequality is not just an issue for society in that it facilitates social problems like mass incarceration or homelessness that unravel society. It is equally antithetical to capitalism. The more inequality, the bigger the government deficits because sufficient government revenues cannot be obtained by taxing poverty wages. Also, savings which are important as a source of borrowing by government, it's impossible to achieve if people are too poor to save. Government only option is to borrow abroad, which explains in part U.S. federal deficits. <clears throat> now, the third person is Elon Musk. Musk embraced long-termism, a concept in which human consciousness will be embedded in nanotechnology in the future. Nick Bostrom, the originator of the concept, believes by st- storing human consciousness in computerized simulations, more people can, be, can live compared to today. There are three problems with this matrix scenario. One, who will be commissioned to write the program for individuals part of the project? Secondly, why would some, able, some, some be able to live their lives organically while others live a simulated life via computer programming? And thirdly, so programs like World Hunger, Helping the Poor, LGBTQ Rights, Racism, Women's Rights, and Factory Farming are deemed intractable problems is the real motivation of long-termism the perpetuation of capitalism. Now, implicit in long-termism is the notion the fundamental hardships of the majority of people will continue. Rather than address the systematic outcome that produces inequality, social economic decline, and needless death, the focus is on the masses if they are complicit in erecting such dire situations. Now, of course, the consequences heaped upon humanity far exceed impact the individual surreptitiously. The difference toward life is both tangible and predictable. Earlier I alluded to nuclear power plants, but in the case of the Diablo Canyon power plant in California, 
Several reports recently were issued by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission expressing concerns about future mishaps using counterfeit parts for reactors. Given over 119,195 deaths from radiation fallout <clears throat> and ensuing cancer, the state should invest should investigate, but they can't. Law stipulates nuclear reactors operate autonomously. This recurring theme of individuals free to assume their own course at the expense of the many manifests manifest consistently in U.S. policy. When it comes to war, the level of killing, lethal killing of civilians and the armaments employed are often at odds with international law. Cluster bombs used in Afghanistan and Iraq, Agent Orange used in North Vietnam, and weapons with depleted uranium used in Gulf War, Serbia, and Kosovo have contributed to cancer and birth defect among children. There is no question wealthy individuals invest large dividends invested in war. However, the energy gains make for a far more precarious world while bringing us closer to environmental collapse. Ironically, this embrace of hyper individualism also threatens Western states that lionize individualism. In the case of the UK, it was reported recently, United Utilities released raw sewage 25,000 times into designated bathing areas off the English coast. When queried about sewage dumpage, corporate representative responded, 90% of water is considered safe, end quote. Of course, he negated the 7% of sewage in the water as though it was insignificant. Deconstructing his words, he said, the water is considered safe. Considered safe or is safe are two different meanings. However, not to worry. By dumping raw sewage into the water, no treatment of sewage necessary and profit is realized. While it turns out individual interest is quite possible, we should all be very happy with that. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Next, we go to our Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. Um, my name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I think women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-E-S. And this struggle is to overcome the lies and the disinformation and the outright treachery of the bourgeoisie in terms of exploiting the labor and, and, and power of the working class. And we have to take back control of our lives by taking control of the government. This is our quest. And I thank you for allowing me to be on the show once again, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. If I'm Brother Moses, we're going to our sister, Sister Eleanor. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you. Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists, and to our listening audience. Good evening to everyone. And i just like to say that uh, this information seems to be uh, the quest uh, that uh, we are are fighting, and how we are going to handle that is uh, becoming even more complex. 
Uh, I'd like to stand in solidarity with the people of Afghanistan and their struggle for uh, uh, heat and food and also stand in solidarity with the, the folks in Yemen that uh, we we uh, stop uh, and the Saudi-led uh, invasion and destruction of Yemen. I also stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people and uh, my deepest sympathy to the journalist from Al Jazeera who was sh- uh, shot by snipers in the face by Israeli snipers and murdered, and then her funeral abruptly interrupted for the flying of the Palestinian flag in occupied territory. I tell you, there's a dangerous world, but I solidarity with these people, and I say that it is time to dismantle NATO. NATO doesn't need to expand. It needs to be dismantled. The Soviet Union has not existed since 1991. That's nearly 34 years since its collapse. Let's move forward to a peaceful world. Let's disarm and think about reusable sources of energy and saving our planet. All right, so thank you, Brother Africa, for having me uh, this evening. I really am so glad to be here and look forward to another exciting show on Africa on the Move. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. At this point in time, we're going to take a rubster culture break, and when we come back, we're going to open up that segment, What's Going On in Your World and the Community? You're welcome to join us by calling 323-679-0841. So right now, we recognize that our people is getting a little weak, getting a little weak right now. Um, they listen to the enemy propaganda, and they begin to slip a little bit in terms of not knowing who they are. So we're going to give you a little booster shot. We think you need a booster shot. We need a real booster shot. So this segment right here coming up, it's a booster shot to all my brothers and sisters getting a little more weak, who getting a little weak, who don't know who they are. This is Africa on the Move. We may not give you what you want, but we are definitely our best to give you what you need. We'll be right back. This is for you. Identity of an African 
wanna sara sara The beat is tana tana You go make you manya manya Ines is in manya manya Oh yeah make you ricotta ricotta mama Africa ricotta hey Make you dance yeah 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 Everybody ricotta ricotta mama Africa ricotta hey This is for people with talaka, people with talaka, Nandi Walanya, Nandi Kalanya. It can make you feel better. This can take away palaba. This can take away wala. It can make you feel nicer. Oh yeah, let's go to Kenya, Rwanda, and Tanzania. Togo, Cameroon, Niger, Ghana, Southern Sudan. Oh yeah, make you ricotta, ricotta, mama Africa, ricotta, eh? Before we get to that theme tonight, we're going to talk about 
what's going on in your world and the community. But Brother Haki, I have a response to your commentary earlier today, uh, earlier during this program, and made me wonder about, you know, you're talking about how I believe in England, uh, up, in the, up in that European northern area, how they pollute the waters with all kinds of stuff in the waters. Now, I remember reading some reports years back, one distinction between water out of Europe and water that they uh, use in the United States, that the Europeans knew a long time ago that to put chloride in the water is heavily to um, develop a cancer in people. Now, you know, in this country and probably in the world, we find folks who use chloride in the water, they have a high degree of cancer. Now, I thought it would be interesting. Here we go again. You had the West polluting the waters, and at some point in time, it's already started. They're going all around the world now to see where they can find fresh water. Libya was one example that people don't want to talk about. One of the motivations of taking over Libya was they had a large water source pool to fresh water. So I just find it interesting. Here they go again, polluting stuff, while at the same time, people who don't pollute, nations don't pollute, the indigenous people had a great respect, they still have a great respect to try to um, cultivate and nurture the earth and treat it with a sense of pride and dignity. Uh, I just find that interest again. Here we go. Uh, they're going to pollute everything. They're going to create walls to try to justify come and take other people's resources that um, they no longer have because they wasted them. Uh, just your response to that, Brother Haki. Yeah, Brother Africa. You know, it, it comes down to philosophy. And one of the things is that, you know, uh, when you come with this uniquely uh, Western philosophy, which idolizes the individual, Essentially, what you're saying is that the individual, you know, is above all other concerns. Ironically, in the context of community, when you live with other people, then what you do does have a direct impact on other people. So one of the real absurdities when you talk about individualism, it says that, you know, you can pollute the water as long as you prosper, and that's okay. Well, it seems to me, Brother Africa, it's up to the people to, 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 to realistically understand, to fundamentally understand, you know, there is a real disconnect in terms of professing to love humanity and actually loving humanity. Anytime you have a situation with people where it's profitable people to actually destroy the livelihood of an entire community, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. But yet, in the, in the context of American way, and that's not to say that Americans are only, not, not to say that the West is only guilty in terms of this kind of uh, gross individualism because it exists around the world. You have people in Africa who also preach or teach a, a um, perverted kind of individualism in the sense that, uh, you know, that profit for the few is more important than the, the living arrangements or the conditions that the masses of people are subjected to. So we do have this perverse kind of individualism that exists on the continent. So it seems to me this question in terms of understanding the role of communalism is very, very key. And so when you talk about communalism, one of, one of the great things about Africa it has a long history in terms of communalism. And so it's something to draw upon. Uh, so it lives in the minds of the people. So one of the things in terms of sharing, uh, in terms of caring for one another, you know, it's, it's, and when you look at traditional African society, they don't have a problem in terms of sharing and caring for one another. The problem is that you have the political elites who have been indoctrinated into the Western way of seeing things, who indoctrinate, who, who embrace this whole notion in terms of individualism, and so therefore live their life in, in those terms. And so one of the things that when you talk about this, you know, historically in terms of, you know, the wall equality of, of Europe versus America, uh, one of the things, Brother Africa, you know, if, if in fact, you know, uh, the people in Europe were to reject 
just this, this fundamental nonsense in terms of you know the individuals you know can do anything uh, uh, irrespective of the cost. Once they reject such such thinking, then certainly um, no no agency, no corporation will be able to get away with what is done. But the mere fact that they're polluting the water and able to get away with that speaks violence in terms of you know setting the precedent for others to come along and then to also pollute the water. And you're absolutely correct. One of the problems is that as you destroy, as the Western world destroys its own countries, it seeks to look elsewhere around the world in terms of conquering other people for the sole purpose of taking their resources. Libya was one country in Africa uh, in terms of large water, fresh water tables, but it's not the only country in Africa. There are many, many countries in Africa with fresh water, untapped water tables in which the West want. In fact, they are signing contracts all the time in terms of Western leaders are selling their rights to the water tables, which I find ironic. But given the level of individualism, the level of corruption that exists in the minds of some of the African leaders, I could see them justifying, you know, selling water tables, even though their own people at some point are going to need those same water tables. Now, it's fine to share in terms of your water. That's one thing. But to give your water rights to, away to the West, knowing that the West has no concern uh, whatsoever in terms of the longevity of humanity, West preoccupation with self or preoccupation with the individual uh, means that uh, once they take once once they take that water from Af- from Africa, uh, that water is going to be used not for the betterment of humanity but for the, solely to wage war continually to wage war because that fresh water will give them the impetus will give them the opportunity will indeed give them the foundation to carry out war uh, because people don't have to worry about being thirsty you have the, you have the, now the people who are going to be thirsty in terms of need of water, I'll be the very same people who water tables were sold by their leaders, you know, to Western states. So clearly, Brother Africa, so this philosophical question in terms of, in, in terms of, you know, how society should be organized is key. But one of the things, you know, recently, Brother Africa, they had the, uh, a lot of women turned out in terms of against, against uh, the abortion, Roe versus, Roe, Roe versus Wade, and rightfully so. Women should be particularly uh, incensed at the audacity of these people to say, listen, we're going to tell you, you know, what you can do with your body. And women should be offended. But the problem is that these same women, when it comes to in terms of critiquing capitalism, when it comes to, when it comes to understanding why capitalism must be eradicated, those same women don't want to be involved in any kind of organization that deals with, deals with the destruction of capitalism. Yet this capitalism is part and parcel of this whole vote in terms of undermining women's right to control their own reproductive systems. So we got this fundamental disconnect in terms of reality. So until we all on the same page and fundamentally understand that the problem, the, the, the reason for all of our problems, the reason for all our suffering is directly related to capitalism, until we fundamentally understand that point, then we keep spinning our wheels. And so this is a fundamental problem. So I'm not surprised that in, in the U.K. that the people would, would simply, you know, cut corners to save money to make profits to dump the, water in, dump the, the sewage into the water. So what? I mean, there's nobody going to jail. That's nobody going to be penalized. There's nobody going to pay any price or whatever in terms of doing that. They understand that. And likewise, in America, when you talk about, you know, uh, destroying the water tables in terms of all this radiation, or this nuclear waste, you know, they don't care because the bottom line is all about profitability. It's not about in terms of the quality of the water in terms of how it adversely impact the lives of human beings because in the final equation, when you come to capitalism, the, the, the mass of the people doesn't doesn't count. Only the individual counts. That is insane. That is crazy. But we got people who embrace this notion in terms of individualism and don't understand that when you embrace individualism, you don't understand essentially what you're saying. 
that what you're saying is that you have no, uh, no obligation, responsibility to another human being. Well, if you don't have no obligation or, or, or respect or relationship with another human being, then how are you going to coexist? Otherwise, otherwise you gotta, you gotta, you create a world of, 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 of in, 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 you know, in, uh, indefinite war. And well, oddly speaking, though, when you think about it, perpetual war. Uh, the West is very, very good in terms of perpetual war. You would think at this point in the 21st century, we move beyond. Let's give all the history in terms of all the destructiveness. You would think that we would move beyond all this, all this silliness, and then we begin to work together to try to create a world in which people can live together, in which we can save the planet, and where people need what they need in terms of in terms of survival. That's not the situation. Individualism dictates that people only look out for themselves. Uh, you know, so the self-interest uh, supersedes any concerns in terms of what is right, what is wrong, what is just, what is moral. Uh, is whatever the individual wants to do is what the individual does. If it's profitable, more the better. So clearly, Brother Africa, I, I think that in terms of it's inevitable that in, in Europe that they will start damaging the water tables because it's all about profitability. In particular, a place like the U.K., which prides itself on trying to be like America, uh, you know, um, they they so badly want to be like America, they just don't know what to do themselves. But uh, yeah, well, they definitely want to be like America. So I'm not surprised at all that those corporations would take a page from American corporate uh, playbook and then in turn take that sewage, dump it into areas in which people bathe, people used to swim at, or to bathe, and and use that for as a, as a dumping ground. So I'm not surprised at all, brother Africa. In the context of capitalism, nobody should be surprised at all. And panelists, and I'll come back to you, actually. I know we're going to talk about what's going on in your world and the community. But I have a couple of things on my mind that I would like to just share this with, with you and the rest of the world. I still ain't figure out. They talk about all of the diseases people have, all the illnesses people have, right? And particularly in the African community, I think now they're talking about this whole question of kidney disease. No one can tell me what it is, but they got it. They don't know how to cure it, but they can just treat it. But in terms of all of these phenomena, I thought it would be interesting. I was just reading the other day and ran across the information. In terms of talking about the corruption that is going on in the medical field, and not just here, but throughout, but at least in the U.S., talking about one way is how doctors are compensated in terms of really, in terms of, in terms of really um, compromising their patients. That is to say, the more medicines they can subscribe to their patients to take from these pharmaceutical companies, if they own the medicine for over six months or more, at the end of the year, they are given a check by these pharmaceutical companies a certain percentage of the cost of that particular medicine. You know, of course, the more expensive the medicine is, the more likely the bigger paycheck they get. But just by the fact that there's incentives to incentivize people on medicine and to have people take it anywhere from, I've seen people take about 10 to 15 different types of medicines, which according to listening to some of the doctors in the, in the, in the scientific field, they were talking about the damages that you can cause to the kidneys by over-medicating. They were saying if you took maybe over two bottles of different medicines or synthetic drugs, it's affect and condemn the kidneys. It's affect the kidneys. Now I'm trying to figure out what study has been done where they can truly say they study all these different medicines, got people taking ten to fifteen different types of medicines, putting in their bodies. It seems to me again, this is this is this is a, a form of corruption in terms of 
They're using the people as a tool where everybody making money. Well, at the same time, it's a real sophisticated way of not really taking care of the people and killing them all. But I'm just saying, taking 10 to 12 bottles of different pills, at the end of the year, you get kicked back for so many medicines that you have been able to um, uh, describe to your patient, regardless of its health and its, 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 its the issues that it may cause. Um, how are we going to fight this? Panelists, talk to me about that. Who want to go first? I'll bring Anthony in. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Moon. You're responsible to the narrative that I just described. Uh, sure. Uh, and thank you for having me, uh, Brother Africa, and revolutionary greetings to you and the fellow panelists and the listening audience. Um, the situation that uh, Brother Hakeem and you described are two reasons why capitalism has to be defeated. Has to be defeated. Because under capitalism, money is primary. What, how, how much an individual can make in the way of profits is primary, not human life. Uh, and whereas under socialism, the survival of people is primary over profits. And, um, and uh, you know, in, a, in countries like uh, North Korea and Cuba, for example, you don't have that sort of thing going on where, uh, uh, you know, where, 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 where people are, are prescribed medication, uh, you know, without regard uh, to, to, to the necessity for it and overall health. And uh, in, a, in socialist societies, uh, you know, uh, resources are, are very carefully managed. And also there is uh, much uh, more monitoring involved to ensure that the health of the patient isn't uh, unnecessarily jeopardized as a result of over-prescribing medication. Whereas under capitalism, uh, the pharmaceutical companies, get, um, you know, could care less because the only thing that their primary concern is their bottom line at the end of the day. So I think, uh, you know, so I think the ultimate solution is to defeat capitalism in all of its uh, manifestations. But how can you respond? Yeah. Doctors well, have incentives to not to really cure their patients. They're building incentives yeah, well, for them really not necessarily. Yeah, go ahead, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, the, 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 the focus is, as you mentioned, Brother Africa, the focus is on profitability. And, and let's, let's be very real about this. When we talk about the um, when we talk about the um, dispensation of, of, of pharmaceuticals, let's be very very clear. When those doctors receive medications, uh, they're given brochures and information pertaining supposedly how this is supposed to work. But definitively understanding how those pharmaceuticals work on the human body is not the doctor's responsibility to, to pursue. So the doctor's 
responsibility is just to just to uh, pass those 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 prescription laws to his patients. Uh, and so the question in terms of the, the 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 health of the patient doesn't necessarily reside with the doctor per se, but it actually resides with the pharmaceutical companies who, in actuality, don't give a damn about the health of people because it's about profitability. And you're absolutely correct. So when you pay doctors to dispense medications, then essentially what you're saying is that uh, the question in terms of their health is irrelevant. What is important is the profitability. So as a doctor, and, and think about it, I've been going to school and you got and you got your hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and here it is, you got the opportunity, you know, to make, you know, uh, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars, you know, pushing, you know, pills, uh, you know, uh, the temptation is there. I mean, let's be let's be very real about that. I mean, nobody wants to be in debt. To be in debt means that there's uh, 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 money that you can use to do other things has to be used for paying bills. Nobody wants to do that if they can help that. So doctors are no different than anybody else. Uh, the problem is that the, the way the medical schools are organized, uh, when you talk about you know things like like herbal remedies and things like uh, in terms of the the devastating impact of pharmaceuticals on a human body, when it comes to those kind of things, there's very little information, very little scholastic information, scholastically information, pertaining to how these pharmaceuticals actually impact the body. So when the doctor received that little that little brochure saying this drug is is, is, is suited to, to treat A, B, and C, then the doctors take that face value. The doctors are not trained in terms of pharma, the pharma, pharmacology aspect, you know, of, of these medications. And so realistically, we can expect these doctors, you know, to have a really reasonable uh, um, uh, um, position in terms of dispensing these drugs because they really don't know because they're not into the pharmaceutical aspect. They're, in, they're doctors. And so their role is to disseminate the, the the, the uh, disseminate, disseminate, you know, these pharmaceuticals. Of course, in their mind, they're thinking that well, this stuff was researched, uh, you know. So, you know, so because of the research, then it's certainly then it shouldn't be an issue in terms of uh, its impact on the human body. But of course, you don't understand that in terms of the Federal Drug Administration, in terms of you know budget cuts, in terms of resistance, in terms of in terms of you know uh, uh, you know checking these drugs because of budgetary cuts, then we understand that a lot of drugs get through that shouldn't necessarily get through, and it's superposed upon that when they when they start creating a situation, you know, back in the 80s, which they say that people that that that, that, that the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies was free to to peddle their, their drugs uh, uh, with minimum with minimum uh, with minimum documentation, then that says a lot. That says a lot in terms of the profit margin. So we shouldn't be surprised, you know. Uh, you know, it's, it's all about profitability. What can we do in terms of stopping that? As Brother Anthony say, ain't a whole lot we can do to stop that. The only thing we can do is educate ourselves and be very, very on guard when it comes to, you know, medications being prescribed. To be very, very knowledgeable in terms of what we're taking, what we're taking. That's the only thing I can say. We have to. Uh, for instance, and I'm, I'm not going to give anybody the medical advice, you know, but one of the things that I do know based on research. Is a lot of these um, uh, uh, these these um, these um, these medications are like Lipitor, you know, uh, supposed to bring down your cholesterol. Uh, a lot of these things have questionable efficacy in terms of its impact on the human body. So you need to know this before you take this stuff. 
and, and, and by all means, ask questions to, the, to your physicians. I mean, they can, they can answer you the best of their ability, but ultimately it's going to take you to research it to find out that information which your doctor may not be privy to or the information your doctor is reluctant to reveal simply because of the profit margin. Because by, you know, as, long as, you, if you, as long as you can convince your clients, to, your patients to take that drug, then you, 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 know, you receive profit from that, from, that trans, from that. And so, therefore, you're less likely to tell your, your patient, hey, there's something fundamental wrong with this, this, this medication, so, therefore, I'm not, I wouldn't advise you to take it. You can't do that. You get paid by prescribing that prescription, that, those, those pharmaceuticals. So the, only thing we, so the only thing we can do in short, Brother Africa, aside from educating ourselves, is we have to change the whole medical system. In order to change the whole medical system, we have to fundamentally eradicate capitalism. We have to, because the profit margin can no longer be primary in terms of people's health. It has to be health for people's sake, and also it has to be preventative. So if it's preventative, then you have a situation like in Cuba where the people are so healthy that in terms of medical care is not a necessity. But you look at the West where people are constantly going to the to going to the going to the hospitals, you know, for medical care. The question is why. Because the preventative aspect in terms of medicine is not profitable. Medicine is only profitable when you can dispense medications and, and, and surgeries and those kind of things that generate, that generate money. Uh, so this is the fundamental problem. So unless we can eradicate capitalism and change with a different model which says that, you know, uh, human health is sacrosanct, unless we can do that, then we're stuck with a capitalist model which says that it's about profitability. And so, in order for them doctors to pay back those large those large debts they incurred from college, um, you know, they have to play ball. So we have to change we have to change all that. We have to create a situation where doctors are not heavily indebted once they come out come out of the universities after studying medicine. You know, we have to we have to change all that. But none of that those questions will be addressed unless we fundamentally change capitalism. And if we don't change capitalism, is 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 somewhat um, uh, somewhat disingenuous to raise the specter. Uh, you know, real change, you know, uh, in the medical profession if we don't essentially change the way capitalism functions. You know, to those who are listening and those who may be on medication or those who go to the doctor who may be prescribing medicines to take in reference to resolving certain ends, I think it would be wise for all of us is we look at these medications and they have like 20 different kinds of side effects. I think we'd be able to begin to kick in our common sense and, and second guess it. I would say that much to our listening audience. But let's go to Sister Eleanor and see what she thinks. Sister Eleanor, how are we going to deal with this contradiction where it's, it's built into the medical system to not to necessarily look at the overall welfare interest of patients, but to give medicine to patients where doctors can benefit and pharmaceutical companies can benefit and might be more to the detriment of the overall health of the patient. I alluded to the earlier, I know patients who take about 15 to 20 pills. Now, clearly that is too much for the kidneys to filter. But yet it goes on on a daily basis and no one seems to be questioning. Your response is Eleanor. Well, um, one of the, I agree with uh, uh, the comments made by Brother Haki and Brother Anthony. One of the horrible things in this country right now is that the pharmaceuticals seem to be uh, writing the medical school curriculum, and it, it it is phenomenal that so little attention is paid played to nutrition and preventive medicine. 
as a part of the medical school curriculum. So that's a formula for disaster. And, you know, uh, we talk about uh, struggling and the importance of uh, having a a revolution in this country, but sometimes we need uh, uh, reforms. Right now, people living today need some type of universal national health plan that would take some of the profitability out of of the medical industry. Also, unfortunately, um, some municipalities have fully insured populations, but still it becomes an issue of gender, race, age, and these factors that cause people to be uh, receiving inferior health care. And the cost of prescriptions, when you look at uh, like you said, uh, medication, like um, they were talking about, uh, he talked about one for uh, hypertension. Well, there's another Humira. You see it advertised for all sorts of things. They had a run for 2021 of just Humira commercials. Well, I understand um, two injections of Humira can run $1,000 a month. There is no incentive to take the patients off of those kind of drugs. And we see such deadly drugs and so many complex side effects, but we do not see pharmacologists working with patients and with the community to address the complexity uh, of these medications. And it's quite, um, I don't know if it's really realistic to expect an ailing individual to be able to have the strength and energy to do uh, uh, but so much research. So we we really need to see uh, reform and greater community involvement overall in addressing the issues of health care. And again, as I said at the beginning of my comments, Unfortunately, uh, the med school curriculum seems to be uh, have a, uh, the pharmaceuticals playing far too great a role in that curriculum to really think about uh, the conservation and, and uh, of life, of saving lives, of keeping people healthy. And... Uh, uh, that's that that's it. So how we bring that about as a as a change is something that uh the same way thirty nine states voted passed voter suppression laws, we need to have uh fifty states pass uh health reform laws. And we should take the profit out of these prescription drugs by having them fully covered by all insurance, including Medicare, which uh, the elderly uh, depend on, uh, many elderly persons depend on for their uh, health coverage. You see the VA is beginning to, has come around and is doing a much better job and is uh, doing a pretty good job of comprehensive uh, health care. But uh, right now, uh, 
we we see large insurance companies and other corporate uh, entities that are buying up hospitals, buying up uh, dialysis centers, buying up everything within the region, and the persons that administer and and direct whether it's uh, Georgetown University Hospital, well, the person is not an MD that oversees the facility. He's a business person. The person that oversees many of these insurance companies that are, are uh, that own our local hospital and our uh, our, our local clinic, they're not medical people. They are capitalists. They are business people, and the goal is the bottom line: money. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We're bringing Brother Moses, and Brother Moses, what you make of of all this situation in this medical field, and whether or not if the patient interests are being uh, seriously considered? Well, I'm no doctor, and I haven't studied medicine, but I'm, I have my empirical observations, and um, it seems that you know. Farmers, big pharma is making victims of people in terms of medicine. Um, it's just, I don't know, they're, they're making their money, but they're not curing people, um, my, what I'm seeing. Um, um, you know, everything everybody has said has been on point. Um, um, it's a capitalist system, and um, until we take the profit-driven drive out of Medicine, you know, we cannot be, we can't really rely on, on big pharma. So, you know, that's the bottom line. I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Okay, just stand on this medical field one more time, and then we'll move forward to what's going on in your world community. Panelists, I just want y'all to contemplate the scenario. Uh, it's understood that we talk about the over medication of the patient here in the West and the US and probably elsewhere throughout the world where capitalism dominated. And when we talk about this over medication, we're also talking about again earlier how it affects the kidneys. And when the kidneys start declining that function in fifth or eight just optimal level, you end up going on this process they call getting a dialysis going on dialysis to replace the function of the kidneys. Now, what's real funny, one of the things I found out is that many doctors, and they say most dialysis companies and buildings are owned by the doctors who are prescribing the medicine to their patients, and they take their patients and make sure they go to the centers where they have investment in, where they have stock in, that they own. Yeah, what I find is really real interesting when the African population is that a lot of times they say, you know, your kidneys problem and whatever comes for a lot of time drinking, you know, doing a lot of drinking and drinking or whatever you drink. But we know there are other groups outside the African community that they do more drinking than the Africans do, particularly when you talk about drinking alcohol, beer and stuff. But anyway, um, I'm just wondering what y'all make of the reality that if According to our numbers, Africans in this country is less than 12% of the total population. If that is the case, how do you explain 70 to 
of most all the people who own dialysis are Africans. Brother Haki, something's wrong with that reality if that's the case in those figures. 12% of the population, but 70 to 80% of the people are on dialysis that are Africans. Yeah, you're right, Brother Africa. Statistically, that should that should uh, uh, raise uh, raise bells. Uh, you know, Brother Africa. You know, I've been I've been trying. I've been I've been pretty uh, concerned about that question and trying to find the answer to it. I've been going to medical journals and so forth, trying to figure out what's going on. Thus far, I haven't been able to decipher precisely why that is so. Obviously, we you know there's something fundamentally skewed when you talk, when you talk about 12, 13, 14 percent of the population. You know, constituting such a high number of, uh, of, of of the casualties when it comes to kidney disease. So clearly, there's something going on, Brother Africa. But I, I don't want to speculate. I want to be concrete when I when I raise precisely what that is, and I continue my search in terms of medical journals, in terms of trying to find out precisely why that is. And that takes a lot of time, a lot of work, in terms of deciphering, you know, a lot of the terms and so forth, in terms of, you know, what you know uh, uh, what they really mean. Uh, but yeah, but it is very much a concern of mine, Brother Africa, and uh, you know this 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 propensity in terms of uh, kidney disease among African people. I I tell you, it 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 is it's it hot. It does it breaks your heart uh, when you think about the fact that so many doctors own these these facilities, you know, who 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 invest great sums of money in terms of you know uh, you know treatment of kidney diseases uh, because it's simply so lucrative. Uh, I'm very much concerned about that, but but again, brother Africa, we can't take that in isolation, in terms of the overall um, social economic ills that impact African people. Uh, the kidney, uh, the prevalence of kidney disease among African people is just a, a, a one of a long litany of, uh, of uh, diseases that imp- that disproportionately impact African people. And I agree with you. The point is that you know if you if you're going to say that it has to do with drinking. Then I would say that then if 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 if, if drinking is the situation, then certainly the Irish should be among the top in terms of you know kidney diseases, um, but that's not the situation. So clearly there's something going on, Brother Africa. I'm not quite sure what it is, but as soon as I find out, trust me, Africa on the move will be the first to know precisely what it is, what's going on in terms of why African people are so uh, disproportionately impacted by kidney disease. And we have any doctor in the medical field that would like to come on and discuss this, we have an open invitation for you to come on and do so because we need to have this information. Information is power. Brother Anthony, what you make of this assessment? Uh, you have a, large, a small population, but yet they dominate a large percentage on, on, on dialysis. What you, you make of that situation? Uh, let's see. Um uh... I I think it's a combination of factors, but it can't be alcohol consumption in and of itself, as Haki correctly pointed out. And um, I would like to add something to uh, add a point to what Sister uh, Eleanor had said earlier, and that is... um, uh, with the merger of the petrochemical industry and pharmaceutical industry a century before last, in the late 1800s, that's when uh, you know uh, you know uh, the pharmaceutical industry started uh, taking control over medical schools because they controlled their funding. 
In other words, most medical schools in the U.S. exist because of of uh, contributions from pharmaceutical com- uh, companies, and in turn, they merged with the petrochemical industry, and that's why uh, and that's why uh, modern pharmaceuticals consist of so many pills, as opposed to herbal remedies which our ancestors relied on in the past uh, during during the 19th century uh, backwards. And, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I'll uh, repeat again. The only way uh, to get rid of this once and for all is to defeat capitalism. Because we're in the era where finance capital dominates everything, including health care. And uh, that has to be uh, changed, and, and only the people organized can make, the, uh, you know, those sort of changes necessary. As, um, you know, so that, you know, uh, preventative health care becomes primary over, uh, you know, giving people a whole lot of medication, which only benefits uh, pharmaceutical and insurance monopolies. And uh, we have to struggle to to achieve that. It's going to be a long and protracted struggle because, uh, you know, people that have uh, power don't give it up. At the drop, you know, at the drop of a hat, you know, it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of struggle, but uh, but for the future generations of our people, is something that has to be engaged in. Thank you, brother. Answer for your response to that situation. We can go to Sister Eleanor. Talk to me, Sister Eleanor. What do you make of that situation? 12% of the population, about 70% on dialysis. Is something wrong with that reality, that number? Yes, it speaks to the uh, environmental uh, and uh, the environmental impact that uh, uh, that the uh, it speaks to the uh, environment and uh, uh, the toxic environment that uh Africans frequently live in uh they pay for their own demise as renters disproportionately owning less than twelve percent uh they own less real estate every decade since the nineteen seventies, but we're increasing. Uh, the burden in terms of medical expenses that are covered by insurance, and this is no favor to us. This is uh, just lining the pockets of big pharma and these uh, big uh, medical complexes, and it's uh, it's it's harmful, and it uh, uh, the infant mortality rate is also much higher than uh it it should be amongst people uh african people in the united states it uh at one point it exceeded the uh 
uh, mortality rate of folks in Haiti. Uh, now, this is after suffering earthquakes and hurricanes and all of this, our infant mortality rate, that's what the Haitian people, the nation of Haiti suffered. But here, we're suffering under unemployment, limited access to education, limited access to quality uh, uh, information concerning health care, no preventive medicine, uh you go in to uh to get uh physical therapy and you may be limited to four to ten sessions and physical therapy is what can save your life but uh instead you're as as we have are discussing I kept on all of these medications and I think the high incident of dialysis speaks to the issue of uh the high rate of diabetes the high incident of uh, high blood pressure, these factors contribute to the uh, 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 the uh, kidney, the renal failure amongst Africans in this country, those two factors, diabetes and high blood pressure. So it's and 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 as we know, Italians take wine with with their with their meals and this and that. So it can't all be alcohol, and also the chemicals placed in uh, tobacco products, and the fact that uh, so much of the cost of a pack of cigarettes, for example, is nothing but taxes. But none of those dollars seem to reach the communities that consume those cigarettes and uh uh we we smoke a lot of of cigarettes i see I, it amazes me i see young kids with cools and vincent and vincent and hedges and all these different cigarettes and uh uh they they're filthy now the Seneca nation an indigenous nation they sell their own cigarettes but they're without chemicals and there's a uh breakdown in terms of the distribution chain and it reaching um african communities and that's because the people that often run the small stores in in the places we call home which are often food deserts do not think of recirculating dollars in our community or recirculating dollars between the indigenous community and African people. They're thinking about their bottom line and their relatives in the land where they migrated from. So this whole thing, uh, we, we might need to begin our research in looking at the incident of diabetes and what is the cause of such a high incident of diabetes and high blood pressure in our community. And we might need to begin to look at how we interact with each other on a day-to-day le- uh, level and um, I guess take from John chapter 13, uh, verse 34, I think, where uh, Christ says, I want you to love each other as I love you. So we may need to just treat each other with more respect, more love, and more tolerance. Also, uh, causes your blood pressure to go up and can also 
contribute to uh, high blood sugars and that sort of thing. But just that blood sugar, diabetes, and and high blood pressure. Uh, taking a look at those two areas uh, uh, and how our community is affected may let us know why we have such a high incident of renal failure. And I would say the doctors that own those renal clinics are fortunate because uh, right now even the uh, 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 undertaker business, mortuary sciences are being taken over by larger corporations. That used to be a source of wealth in, in, uh, in the black community, in the African community, but we see increasingly that these are now parts of big chains. And uh, it's very seldom that you see an individual doctor in, in many communities, in my own community, owning anything. They are employees of businessmen. As I said, an uh, institution like Georgetown University Hospital isn't isn't managed by doctors, it's managed by businessmen. So their interests and that of the medical field are obviously in conflict. Good point, Sister Eleanor. Let's go to Moses. Talk to me, Moses. What you make of the situation? Are you with us, Brother Moses? I think Brother Moses and check out for a second. We'll come back to him later. But what we're going to do is at this point. Okay, I think we're going to bring Brother Moses back in. Brother Moses, the mic is yours. We brought you back in. Your thoughts on what's going on, considering 12% of the population, you have a lot of percentage of us on this, this is a dialysis kick. Yeah, yeah. The question is, how is it related to ethnicity or socioeconomic concerns, or what is the factor that's contributing to this this uh, skewed uh, statistic? Uh, I know we have mm-hmm. uh, like like um, sickle cell anemia and different things, um, but uh, I'm not sure what the basis, uh, what the real bottom line is on on why why this disease is so disproportionately uh, among us. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm with Haki. Uh, it takes study, and, uh, and hopefully we'll come up with the answer someday. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And you're going to listen to Africa on the Move and to the African leadership around the world. For those, again, who forgot who they are, we think you need a booster shot. If you find them, bring them to Africa on the move. We need to give them a booster shot. This particular um, shot coming up is for you. For those Africans in leadership who are not acting responsible to their people and humanity, this is Africa on the move.
that were spoken for the blood we have spilled all the treaties that were broken for the leaders you have Terminated for the myth you keep alive, for the land you confiscated, for our freedom you deprived. Interest that are not in the best interest of our people. 
Come and get that booster and you're going to be all right. Welcome back to Africa on the Move. Africa on the Move is a weekly radio program in which you can tune in and participate every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S. We do our best to treat, to speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. Of course, we'd like to give a salute out to ongoing activities and to the AAPRPGC for their celebration of African Liberation Month. This year, on the theme for African Liberation Month is Unleashing an Offensive of 64 Years of African Liberation Day, intensifying the revolutionary struggle against capitalism and imperialism, Zionism and neocolonialism, forward to pan-Africanism, one unified socialist Africa. That's this year's thing on the banner of the AAPRP. We'll talk a little bit about um, those activities coming up later on in this program. But right now, we're going back to our panelists, and we're going to begin to discuss what's going on in our world and the community. We are bringing Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, what's going on in your world and the community? Yeah, Brother Africa, I just want to make people aware that uh, Brother Sundiata Akoli uh, was just recently released from prison. Brother served 49 years in prison. Uh, you know, he was formerly part of the Black Panthers and the Black Liberation Army. There was a situation in New Jersey which uh, allegedly he was involved in a shootout uh, uh, with, the po- with the state police. But the information doesn't bear that out. So this suggests, so all the information suggests this was all part of a setup. And one of the things that's so interesting about, you know, his sentencing, you know, and this, by the way, he was sentenced back in 1974, was that he was sentenced to life in prison. And after 25 years in prison, the next considered life, he should have been released. He wasn't. Uh, he's actually served twice his sentence. And uh, the, the parole board in New Jersey was very, very clear in terms of political considerations, despite the fact that uh, he had a, a spotless prison record, uh, he didn't create any problems for anybody. He got along with everybody, you know, under those terms, and he was remorseful, uh, even though he didn't commit the crime. So under those terms, he should have been released, you know, 25 years ago, but he wasn't. They held him. But the reason why they held him, this is important people understand this in terms of the disparate treatment that is that is read out to African revolutionaries in America. One thing, the FBI re- released a document which stated that African revolutionary, revolutionaries are more intelligent than most African people. And in other words, he said, um, he see, the FBI see African, African revolutionaries as atypical in the sense that African revolutionaries understand minutia associated with the capitalist system. They're able to analyze, to understand, you know, what the African system, I mean, what the, what the capitalist system is all about. Uh, it's very, very interesting. They didn't say that conservative uh, African people were, in fact, um, uh, extremely typical in terms of intelligence. They said African revolutionaries, which says a lot. So the mere fact that Sunil Akhordu was was considered a, a, exceptional, in other words, you know, for, for being an African person, you know, to be able to think and to be able to analyze, that makes you exceptional. Whereas as for white people, it just makes you a common a, a, a common person. But if you're an African person and you're able to you're able to uh, deconstruct, if you're able to analyze, you're able to look at the system and understand nuances of that system, particularly capitalism, then it makes you atypical. It makes you exceptional. So the mere fact that Masuni Akoli was considered exceptional 
meant that he had to get more time in prison. So I think that, you know, in, in understanding this report released by the FBI, we had to be in understanding in terms of how they see us. Uh, one of the things when we talk about social, social and political conditioning, they anticipate, they expect that we would be conditioned uh, to believe and think the way they want us to believe and think. So the moment that we express uh, an, an ability to think beyond what we've been programmed to think, then we become, we become atypical, we become revolutionary. So clearly we had to understand, you know, uh, in terms of this, 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 this kind of uh, impetus, uh, this kind of view that emanates you from, from the FBI. Uh, so, but I, I just, again, I just want to say that, you know, I just want to go on my, you know, express my, my gratitude to Brother Sumiana Corley, you know, um, for his commitment to the people. It's not easy in terms of, you know, taking, making sacrifice in terms of the masses of folks. Uh, is, is not easy. So for him to make that kind of sacrifice speaks values in terms of the kind of person he is. And so when we talk about the highest, the highest, the highest state of of of, of, of selfishness, then clearly we got to include Brother Sumai Corley and other you know progressive and or African revolutionaries, you know, who are paid a tremendous price in terms of fighting on behalf of the masses of people who don't necessarily understand the, the necessity in terms of struggle, you know, against this brutal uh, uh, capitalist system. Uh, so, again, I just want to Mahafel, uh, congratulations uh, for, you know, the release of uh, Brother Sunil Akoli. You know, he's 85 years of age and just hoping that, you know, that his remaining years be one of bliss and, and hopefully he'll get the recognition that he deserved, you know, from the community there in Brooklyn, New York, in terms of his contributions, I'm sure the brothers and sisters in Brooklyn and in the surrounding areas will give their will 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 do uh, tremendous things for this brother in terms of a show of affection or, or or respect for this brother in terms of all he contributed you know to the movement and his selfless stance that he took in terms of you know you know fighting against a very very a very very powerful and very wicked uh, system. So clearly, uh, again, you know, um, my salute to brothers. Brother Sunia Akoli. Okay, thank you, Brother Aki. From Brother Aki to Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world in the community? Okay, I, I would like to extend a salute to Sunia Akoli as well. Uh, you know, it's a commendable that he uh, that he's been able to survive this long under the harsh conditions he was imprisoned um you know uh as a typical uh a typical example of what he was fighting against uh there was a mass shooting in buffalo new york recently as a matter of fact yesterday in which uh 10 people were killed and several others were wounded uh, by a European uh, teenage mass shooter uh, that uh, uh, you know that uh, resides in up in a suburb in upstate New York, and uh, they were they were ten victims and therefore at least ten families that were affected by this mass shooting. This took place in a predominantly African neighborhood in Buffalo, New York. Uh, so, uh, you know, our uh, 
you know, our prayer and condolences should go out to them. And also, uh, let's see, um, uh, there was uh, a, a Palestine, uh, a Palestinian journalist was assassinated last week by Zionist forces in Palestine. And, uh, you know, she was covering uh, the uh, – she was covering uh, the um, Nakba Day commemoration that was going on. And uh, she was assassinated by Zionist forces. And, uh, you know, to add uh, insult to injury, uh, the Zionist forces tried to disrupt her funeral by by, uh, beating and kicking the pallbearers of her casket at her funeral. And uh, they almost dropped the casket. They didn't, but uh, the Zionists tried to force them to. And uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, they uh, uh, let's see. The Palestinians usually catch a lot of hell around this time of year, and uh, you know, so uh, you know that's adding to their difficulties. Uh, just as we're, uh, you know, we're subject to arbitrary uh, violence and what have you, and uh, that probably contributes to the stress that we suffer from as Africans in the diaspora. And uh, so, um, you know, um, uh, my heart goes out to them. And uh, we have to keep in mind that uh, that these evil exploitative systems need to be defeated in order for the sake of survival of humanity. Thank you, Brother Anthony. This is Eleanor. What's going on in your world in the community? Well, um one thing I'd just like to bring up is that all across this country, there have been uh, massive demonstrations this weekend of uh, people standing up uh, from 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 young children to senior citizens standing up for a woman's right to have control over her health and her body and that of her families. So uh, they had been out supporting Roe versus Wade, and I would like to commend them. There was a huge demonstration in Washington, D.C. There was also one on the Brooklyn Bridge this morning and uh, in Texas and uh, uh, California as well. So uh, uh, congratulations and uh, um I'm so good. I'm so very happy to see the people standing up for the rights of women to control their health. Um, we were talking about health, Brother Africa, and I'd just like to bring up the fact that so often women, cadavers are used to do the medical research, 
but we don't do much research on um, women's health or in improving women's health, but uh, we still focus on just that of men and, and of male health and uh, I guess white male health overall in this country rather than that of the health of the nation and of the people. Um, I also uh, was shocked to, uh, well, I stand and uh, I have condolences for the uh, journalist who was shot in the head by uh, Israeli snipers uh, in in occupied uh, in the occupied territory, and also the fact that her funeral was interrupted because uh, the Palestinian people on their land were were carrying their flag. That was really. Just outrageous, and I'm glad uh, to hear uh, Brother Anthony's report that that casket was not dropped. It looked like it might have been, but I didn't have a clear angle at the film I was watching. Um, Right now, you know, we're still thinking about the struggles uh, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, as I said earlier, uh, of Yemen, Somalia. Uh, it's so much that we need to focus on and on Algeria and Algeria getting the pipeline up and running and uh, what could be done just to take the uh, advantage of uh, Africa, all all African countries, the the neo-colonialists getting out of the pockets of, of, of of their colleagues and allies, but putting the continent first, putting the people first by negotiating uh, prices for uh, their uh, liquid gas and other uh, things that are needed. And uh, we should urge the U.S. to uh, stop. Uh, importing oil from the Saudis and urging the Aldis, Saudis to increase their production. They are waging a war against the people of Yemen using a weaponry that they purchased from the U.S. Uh, using the dollars that we spend on buying their fossil fuel. It's a never-ending cycle, it seems to be. So I'm hoping that we uh, we see some uh, changes in the world, and I'm hoping that uh, more scholars, such as Maria Raza, R-E-S-I-A, who uh, reports, uh, wrote a book on uh, mass media and how that will be playing a role and how it played a role uh in the Filipino election that elected uh, um, the election on Monday and how 1,800-plus machines were not operating in the country so that people could not see that their votes were actually collected and, and validated. So 
I'm hoping that uh, she was talking about NATO and uh, whether or not NATO should exist. Um, Turkey, why is Turkey a part of NATO? Why, why? What 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 is going on here? And we need to uh, really reexamine this. And why is the U.S. leaning on Russia so much? Is it that we now want their natural resources? We want control of the Russian natural resources of their oil, of their of their gas. Uh, again, uh, this week, I would say the most important thing going on is um, making sure that people recycle. If you see someone has taken the time to recycle, and in order to recycle, you need to wash your number two plastics and separate your paper from plastic and glass. If someone's done that and you come along behind them, you need to continue that small chain. And we need to really educate ourselves and each other of the importance of uh, recycling and of conservation. It's, it is so important. And we need to think about reusable forms of energy and uh, promoting the use of reusable energy. And uh, I think uh, uh, the and cleaning up the environment. Uh, with the Reno failure and the, the incident of diabetes and high blood pressure um, uh, causing such uh, being a, a contributory, a contributing factor to renal failure, we need to see why those conditions exist in our community and to be gentler and kinder with each other and begin to hold literacy workshops in our community where the subject of the literacy workshops are also health and nutrition. Thank you, Eleanor. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Can you hear us, Brother Moses? Okay, while we're waiting for Brother Moses, we're going to talk a little bit about Anthony. You mentioned the issue of the shooting, I believe it was in Buffalo, up in Buffalo, New York. I think from my understanding, hearing the last report, reporting incident on one of the national news, they indicated like 13 got shot, maybe 11 or 10 of them that, um, got killed. And out of that number, 10 of them were Africans. And I find that that case really interesting in terms of how they say the official charging of that individual of killing that total amount of people, he only has been officially charged with one death. Now, one, who blamed the responsibility of this particular incident occurring in this fashion, what is the conditions of, of that, who is really the victim of it. And two, I'm not of a clear understanding how do you just objectively charge them the first thing that's charge is only with one death when you, when you know objectively he's here at least 10 or more. Maybe Brother Hackey makes some sense of that to me. 
Yeah, well, actually, yeah, it was uh, 13 shot. It, um, uh, uh, 11, well, 10, were, 10 died, and um, the 11 person was also an African. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, I don't know, Brother Africa. I don't know how you make sense of that. Uh, you know, I mean, clearly this guy came from a small, small homogeneous community, which I think something like 0.4 tenths of 1% of the population was African. So he went to Buffalo, which has like a African population, something like I believe it was something like um, seven, seven, in excess of seven percent of the population is African. So he had a he had a definite uh, idea in mind in terms of you know perpetrating this crime, who he's going to perpetrate the crime against. Uh, so the mere fact that you know he killed uh, you know he, he he killed ten people, he injured one, I mean killed injured three three others. Uh, the mere fact that he, he, he pulled that off and the fact that he was dressed for the occasion in terms of body wear and this kind of thing and this automatic weaponry, uh, and the fact that he was prepared for this kind of this kind of this kind of combat, it seems to me that charging him with one you know, with one death, it, to me it doesn't make sense at all. I don't understand the logic behind that. I suspect Brother Alfred that's probably a typographical error. I think some some editor was just messing with people. And what he wanted to do is to antagonize the African community. So he, so they said, uh, they probably change uh, 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 ten deaths to one. Or you know, that, that's my guess, because uh, clearly uh, he killed. I mean, ten people died as a result of his actions. Uh, so clearly, uh, I, I think, brother Africa, you know, um, you know, I, I will say this. Let me say one of the things which is off the point. But I think it's important. I make this point. I think one of the things when we look at the society and we look in terms of, you know, the uh, uh, people in positions of power uh, engaging in cultural wars in, in America. So cultural wars is just simply another way in terms of reinforcing the, uh, white nationalism. And as they prop up white nationalism, all kind of absurd kinds of ideas uh, gain life, you know, in, in, in the media. And we're not just talking about social media. It's also talking about television, like One, One American Nation or Fox News which uh, routinely says things that are beyond the pale. I mean, we talk about racist statements. I mean, these people on the national audience are saying things that are outrageously racist, but yet they can get away with it simply because they have the power to do so. Unfortunately, people like this guy Gedron, you know, he actually, he, he, he reads the stuff, he hears the stuff, and he believes it's true. The problem is that there was no, apparently there was no counter-argument to the stuff that he believed was true. So when he talked about the Great Replacement, uh, you know, it was based upon some of the first notion that, in fact, uh, that uh, the, the country is in danger in terms of, you know, becoming, you know, non-white. Or in other words, uh, the position is that, uh, or his position was that if, in fact, you have a lot of non-whites, particularly immigrants, they're more likely to vote Democratic, which means that the Republican Party will be out of power, and that simply will be a threat uh, to the United States. So clearly he doesn't understand the terms of U.S. Uh, uh, immigration policy. Obviously he doesn't understand that, you know, for people of color to get into the United States is a very difficult ordeal to achieve. So apparently he doesn't realize that. Uh, you know, uh, apparently he doesn't realize that the U.S. does have a is is somewhat is somewhat um, subverted, but it does have a policy. Uh, it does have a policy in terms of prioritizing those people who are white and from Europe. So this notion in terms of this country actually becoming, you know, predominantly people of color is highly unlikely. Uh, the most, the biggest estimate I've seen, they talk about potentially, and that's only potentially, 50-50 split. 
And of course, in that context, all those individuals who 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 are who are counted as people of color don't necessarily subscribe to the notion that in fact they are people of color. None of them are going to say that they're white. And so, so this notion that he's concerned in terms of you know uh, or, or, or the white population, you know you know being somehow uh, 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 undermined or, or or the white population actually disappearing, I think is a result of some some uh, uh, unfortunate uh, storytelling. And which this young man brought into simply because he, there was no alternative narratives in terms of providing clarity in terms of how he was thinking. But I think clearly, Brother Africa, I think that the 10 people that he killed, the 13 that he wounded, I mean, the three that he wounded, uh, I, I mean, clearly he has to pay for that. And I, again, I think that this 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 this, 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 this statement which says that he's only charged with one, one crime, I think it was just some editor who was messing with the African community and just to antagonize him by saying that he was only charged with one, with one murder. So I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother F. Um, Brother Hakeem, Brother Anthony, what you make of this phenomenon that just took place? Who bear responsibility for this? He able to create the climate where it seemed to be open talking on African people. And um, everybody saying it's okay. And now you have news reporters um, like you said, maybe in the hour, but sometimes to communicate different things to tell you what they think of you. This question of your kid 10 and reporting you only could be charged officially. Your first charge only could be one. How you, would you make of that phenomenon, Brother Anthony? I make of that phenomena is that uh, we live in a racist and terroristic society. In which the in which uh, violence is being perpetrated against Africans by uh, by police and white supremacist forces, and unfortunately, be, uh, that that they're taking advantage of a lack of organization, and only an organized people can uh, put up a, a effective resistance against that sort of thing. And um, it seems that either that either it's being reported more or terrorist attacks and violence is increasing against Africans because uh, we see uh, more uh more uh we have more incidences of uh police attacking africans and also other europeans attacking africans uh because uh either uh e- e- either they don't like us or or feel that we're a threat to their existence and uh, we have to get better organized as a people to put an end to this sort of thing. And uh, you know, uh, you know, that's my take on it. Uh, we're disorganized as a people, and we're depending upon the the, the benevolence of uh, people that uh, that don't like us for various uh, reasons. And uh, we can't depend upon that. And, uh, you know, we have to get organized and uh, 
you know, uh, replace the government that is governing the society. Thank you, Brother Evan. Sister Eleanor, talk to me. Was it just a mistake that the official police department charged him on with one death initially? Why just one? Um, I'm I'm unaware of how he would possibly be charged with one death. I um, I just heard about the the shooting, I believe, in Buffalo, New York. And uh, in a in a um, in a um, in a grocery store where people would assume to uh, be safe, you know, buying their food for their families and things like this. I I don't know anything about the charges, so I'm going to let you move on to discuss uh, uh, with the other analysts what information. They would have the bottom line is I understand the young man uh, uh, murdered uh, a dozen people, but I'm now hearing ten. So I I don't think uh, I don't know whether or not I'm getting accurate information uh, what I've read. So uh, thank you so much. I I, I think. Uh, the charges, uh, well, obviously they're going to have to pull together the charges and by, by the time he's arraigned tomorrow morning. Let's see if we got Brother Moses back with us. Are you back with us, yeah. Brother Moses? Can you hear us? Yeah. Okay. Your response to this news report that officially uh, the law the, uh, enforcement department up in Buffalo on the initial charge, one death for the shooting of or the killing of 10 to 11 people. He shot about 13. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, I, yeah I, that's outrageous, the news report. Uh, um, hopefully it's inaccurate and, uh, you know, that the charges will be for the, the 10. Uh, uh, I don't know uh, what this what the story is in terms of the discrepancy, uh, but I, I'm sure it will be corrected. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Um, um, you sound like a diplomat, Brother Moses. You sound like a diplomat. I hear you, brother. That's good enough. What we're going to do right now, um, panelists, um, we're going to um, take a rubbish break. And when we come back, I have one issue that we must address on this significant date, Twenty uh, 73 years ago, a significant incident took place that has had an impact on us and the whole world, for example, why we must understand world history. Talk about that significant incident and how it plays out today. When we come back, this is Africa on the moon. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state... And people, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what 
In the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets Could have been invested in the future for my comrades Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas Rather get shot in they back than fire back We're tired of that, corporations hiring blacks Denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map That's why I write the shit I write in my rap It's documented, I meant it Every day of the week, I live in it, breathe in it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution Your average black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice and the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state
I give it up Anthony King to read it um, in a little while. 
concerning this whole question of the Palestinian question uh, that came from lines that came from I believe this one came came from Jafar Javari with the National Association National Council of Arab American National Council of Arab Americans. I thought that's an interesting statement. I think we'd like to read to our listening audience. As 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 he showed, not only the solidarity between Palestinian Palestinian and African people, but it had a very humanistic humanistic um, feel to it. If you can get that statement for our listening audience, we'd be much grateful. Um, but before we can have you to make that announcement, let's talk a little bit about 74 years ago. That was it incident, a crime against humanity that took place called in Akbak Day. When we say in Akbak Day, that was the day where the Palestinians woke up on May the 15th, May the 15th, 1948, and they became a people without no land and a people without no homes. They became landless and homeless, many of its population. It was taken over by the Zionist forces from out of Europe. And ever since then, the world has been impacted greatly by the influence and the power of the Zionist movement in conjunction with the Puritan movement. And we would like to talk a little bit about that and knowledge the suffering and the injustices that has been inflicted upon the Palestinian people and their homeland, Palestine, is something that all human beings must be aware of and must take aside. And it raises some very humanistic, fundamental issues that if you're just a human being, I don't know how one can arrive at the decision that Palestinian people don't have a right to the homeland. I don't know one, how one can justify coming to somebody else's home and you can split in two. I don't know how one can justify just because they want a place of their own, they can come and take someone else. Those are just some fundamental conditions I would think that all human beings would rebel against. What would life be like if you wake up tomorrow morning and you were kicked out your home and you became homeless and landless and someone else came to your home and said, now stay out? What would be your response when you agree to the narrative that we're here today? All these narratives to justify the existence of Israel. When you talk about the existence of Israel, it raises some very philosophical um, and real issues of this question of justice, this question of fairness, this question of if that goes down, that means that all things are possible, anything is possible, uh, to do as you please as long as you have the power to do so. So to my panelists, let's talk a little bit about this question of in Arkbark Day, this was the day where the Palestinians became a people who lost their home, lost their, 
their lands and being dominated by external forces. It's something that must be talked about and remember because there's a philosophy by the enemy that they believe to not to talk about something it doesn't exist because it's not talked about. It's not in your eyesight. It's not on your mind. We can see how the media has treated this whole issue and struggle of the Palestinian people. And we also can see how the influence of power Zionism, how it has neutralized and threatened and put fear in people just to even talk about it. So apparently, as we think about what took place 74 years ago, where does justice reside when it comes to this so-called crisis of Israeli-Palestinian crisis? Brother Hackey, give me your thoughts on that. <clears throat> yeah, well, I, you know, I have no ambiguity in terms of my uh, characterization of what happened, you know, to the Palestinian people. What happened to them was criminal. I mean, pure and simple. There is no politics of justified. There's no history to justify it. It was criminal. I mean, uh, is you know, these, these Zionists, uh, with the blessing of the British and the Americans, effectively displaced over 2.5 million people. And there was nothing to, there's nothing to say other than it was criminal. You know, but what's equally criminal, Brother Africa, I think, that is the response of the of the Palestinian of the Muslim states that surround uh, the regime of Israel. Uh, the mere fact that uh, many of them currently have relationships with the Zionist regime, uh, uh, to me, it, to me is to me is problematic. Uh, one of the things is that you know when you, when you see a kind of um, systemic wrong committed against your brothers, your, your 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 Muslim brothers and sisters, uh, you have a moral obligation in terms of to address that systemic wrong. But that's that's what's happening. A lot of these individuals are actually embracing the Zionist regime at the expense of the of this Palestinian people. Now that doesn't that now that doesn't that doesn't minimize for one instance of the kind of uh, duplicity employed by you know the Palestine the, the Palestinian leadership, in particular um, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, uh, not Mahmoud Abbas, uh, his, his name Skip. Uh, his name uh, is not Abbas. It's the um, the other guy, the chief negotiator. His name evades me to come to me. But in any event, in terms of his his willingness to give away Palestinian territory uh, and to receive nothing, I think is very very problematic. I think one of the things, particularly when you talk about the West Bank territories, in particular the, those those areas that surround the um, the um, um, the uh, the uh, Muslim the Muslim holy site, as well as well, some contend the Jewish holy site as well. But when you talk about the kind of uh, kind of prop, uh, 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 land that was given away uh, to the benefit of the Zionists, it makes no sense to me. Specifically, if you say this is a holy place, you know, the, uh, a holy place of, of Muslims, the third holiest place of Muslims, and then you allow, if, in effect, to give that property, you know, to the Zionists. And to get nothing in return, to me that's problematic. One of the things I li- I listened to an interview that he conducted, as the chief Palestinian negotiator, 
and he talked about the fact uh, that, uh, that that you know he opposed violence, and so what he wanted to do is to do everything he can to minimize violence, and that's certainly a, a, a laudable goal in terms of minimizing violence. The problem is that the, the question in terms of fairness or the question in terms of uh, reciprocity has to have some type of meaning in terms of these negotiations. To simply give all the Palestinian assets, in particular land, away for the sole purpose of avoiding conflict seems to me, uh, for me, it seems very, very ironic and very, very foolish. But nonetheless, that's what he proceeded, that's what he did. And as a consequence, the Zionists have been using this kind of disposition toward uh, inability to, to negotiate honestly or uh, to use that kind of disposition to further expand, you know, Israeli settlements throughout Palestine. Uh, clearly, you know, this notion in terms of the Palestinians, the 2.5 million people have no right to return to their homeland, I think that is very, very problematic. It seems to me that if, if that point can't be resolved, that no discussion should have been had. Uh, but yet, this particular um, this particular uh, 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 negotiator, the chief negotiator, he calls himself, didn't even include that aspect in terms of negotiation. Essentially, what he did was that he said that you know that uh, you know we're going to we're going to divvy up this land, and most of this land is going to go to the Zionists, but certainly the little land that's available, which is right away, which is not arable land, the most non-productive land is given to the Palestinians. He's saying that if we can just do that, then we can achieve peace. I find it problematic on many, many levels. And as a consequence, the people in Palestine are paying the price today for something that the chief negotiator did in terms of not negotiating in, in earnest, in terms of negotiating in a manner which is conducive to the well-being of the Palestinian people. After all, Palestine is your land. That is your land. There's, no, there's, there's nothing that can excuse that. I remember talking to this guy at uh, at Duke University, the designers at Duke University, and and uh, he was giving this spiel about you know they came there that was you know and uh, you know and uh, that you know there was no one there and therefore the land was you know uh, the land was there to be taken, and so I pointed to an open field I did in Duke University and I said there's nobody there why don't you go over there and take that land, but I guarantee you one thing if you try to take that land over there. The police of the Duke campus on the Duke campus will be here in a minute to arrest you. You know that, and I know that. So this notion about the fact that there was no one here, that someone passing people invisible, is a is a, is a, is, a, is a crock of bull. You know that, I know that. What you did was criminal. You stole, and there's no other way to put it. And I don't even try to give some 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 historical justification in terms of the theft of land. You stole the land, pure and simple. Just as America came over here and, and annihilated the Indians and sold the land, it's the same thing. There is no, there is no getting around the reality in terms of we talk about the criminality and theft, and that's precisely what it is. And because you you, you control this piece of land at this point in history, doesn't negate the reality that you stole it and that what you did was criminal. The Zionists, the same thing with the Zionists, but in addition to just the criminality aspect of this, when you think about the Zionists, we use Judaism, as a justification for doing what they're doing, that's beyond the pale. I mean, to use religion, which is to bring, bring, to bring, uh, to 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 get human beings to 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 aspire to a higher self, to use religion for the sole purpose in terms of criminality and, and theft, 
I find that extremely repulsive. Uh, you know what I mean? And then superimpose upon that when you think about the fact that the the, the, the Ethiopians, the Beta Israel, those individuals you read about in the Bible, who was resettled in Israel under Operation David and Operation Moses, who was resettled in, 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 in Israel, are victims of racism. So this question in terms of in terms of Judaism is really no factor at all in terms of the behavior of these Zionists. I will add that I'm very aware of the fact that your leading Zionists are not religious. These Zionists don't care anything about religion. They're, very, they're secular and they're very, very political. And so their motivation has nothing to do in terms of, in terms of, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, in terms of uh, a religious, religious dogma or, or, or religious beliefs. Their behavior manifests itself based upon politics, pure and simple. And so their relationship with the West is an important one because because one of the things we, we, we think about when we talk about the kind of wrongs perpetuated by the U.S. in the Middle East, Israel played a big part in terms of perpetuating those wrongs. So Israel served as a lapdog for the U.S. to do all this dirty work uh, while the U.S. can claim, can claim his hands, hands are, the hands of innocent. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, what happened went on is criminal. It was theft, pure and simple, and the repercussions resonate uh, uh, resonate today. Uh, the 2.5 million people still live in exile, unable. Many, many of which are living in exile, who are not in other countries. Uh, I mean, who are in other countries, but living in, in tents and this kind of thing. Those people have a right to turn their home, you know, to a quality of life, which is which is which is reminiscent of you know uh, of who they are, you know, as Palestinian people living in Palestinian land. So clearly, Brother Africa, I, I, I think this criminality, this death, you know, cannot go unchallenged and not call upon Muslim nations, you know, those who embrace the Zionist regime of Israel to, to smack themselves and, 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 and to ask the question, why? Why would you allow this to happen to your Palestinian brothers and sisters, you know, and you sit there and you embrace the Zionists, knowing full well that the Zionist motivation it has nothing to do in terms of brotherhood or the unity of brotherhood, but it has more to do with absolute uh, control, you know, over over people and their people's lands. So clearly, Brother Africa, I think it was all very criminal. Brother Africa? Yes. Yes, yes Africa. I was able to find that statement that uh, Jafar wrote. And, okay, before you read the statement... Before you read a statement, I'd just like to give you a general position on how you would remember or, or look at or view um, this incident that took place seven four years ago in Knockback Day. What can we learn from it and what, um, you know, how should we address it? Is it something that should be forgotten? Because at this point in time, there's a blockade against any information, any history that comes out of Palestine from a Palestinian perspective. Actually, it would be very dangerous for us to forget that history uh, because something uh, similar happened to us in Kenya and Azania, South Africa, uh, back during the 19th century. And also, uh, and also uh, the other place they tried to established a settler colony was the Congo. So it would be very dangerous for us to forget that. 
And the same thing happened to the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere. Again, uh, settler colonialists used used biblical uh, teachings to justify their evil aims. And uh, and that makes it worse, in my opinion, not better by any means, because they played uh, with people's religious beliefs in order to justify their ends. And, uh, you know, that makes it worse in my mind. And also this, uh, the, uh, uh, let's see, uh, what happened uh, in Palestine is familiar with the history of all settler colonies. Uh, they were uh, they were uh, forcibly occupied by foreign forces that seized the land and displaced the people that lived there. And. Uh, all indigenous people have a right to their land. And the fight for their land is an act of culture. Okay. Brother Anthony, can you yeah. hear us? Yes. Yeah. Would you share that statement from the National Council of Arab Americans? Sure. Okay, sure. Dear brothers, sisters, and comrades, our joint dedication to freeing our peoples from imperialism, colonialism, and Zionism is an ongoing struggle against the common enemy. Our aggregate struggle witnessed many accomplishments and victories and some severe setbacks highlighted by assassinating our leaders in Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East. Yet the struggle continues due to renewed dedication of new generations of determined people to carry the torch of freedom to the end. It is critically, crucially important to carry out the armed struggle to realize the broader objectives of defeating colonialism and Zionism. But more importantly, it is to be dedicated to a just cause, worthy of sacrifices. Our revered Thomas Sankara of Burkina Faso warned African leaders to challenge the Western debt, choking the continent's stability and independence. In a speech to the African Unity Meeting in Addis Ababa in 1986, he called for cancellation of our foreign debt and say our debt will not be paid. Ignoring his revolutionary vision, African countries consequently surrendered their autonomy to the European colonialists increasing their debt size and denying the new generations decent living standards. Sankara was universally acknowledged to be incorruptible, a trait found in African giants. Nkrumah, 
Secretary Gamal Abdel Nasser and many others. They, in the aggregate, were not known for empty revolutionary rhetoric and cliches. Rather, they were committed to acting and directly confronting Western imperialism, driven by a resolute commitment to justice. Our generation owes a tremendous debt to those leaders before us determined to build alternative future free from colonial oppression. Since Sankara's murder in October 1987, social advances and progressive changes he initiated were revoked. And by 2014, Burkina Faso was considered one of the poorest countries in the world. Sankara's legacy endured all these years, however. On this occasion of African Liberation Day and Palestine Solidarity Day, we salute our heroes and comrades who fought against colonialism and Zionism, both ills challenging our collective aspiration to freedom and independent development. In Palestine, a faulty leadership vision of accommodation with the enemy has led to more lands being expropriated, more people jailed by the Zionists, and a loss of hope only temporarily. The enemy's dedication to its goal of cleansing the land of its righteous owners has produced a negative effect leading to more popular engagement and the will to fight as evidenced in the daily confrontations encompassing wider sectors of society. This is certainly a bright development and a fundamental addition to the global struggle against oppression, colonialism, and Zionism. The legacy of our murdered leaders continues to guide the current path of struggle until our aggregate goals of freedom and independence are achieved. And to follow up, that was another solidarity statement spoken at that program that reflects their solidarity with African Liberation Day and Palestine Day as institution and its struggles as relates to the Africans and the Palestinians. They came for Jane Patrick Jordan, representative of Alliance for Global Justice. It reads, the Alliance for Global Justice sends a warm, fraternal greeting to the all-African peoples, Revolutionary Party GC, and the all-African women, Revolutionary Union GC, and to Africa on the move on the occasion of the 64th African Liberation Day and 74th anniversary of Palestine and Nakbak Day. The struggle of African people in their home continent and all over the world has not just been an example to all other people in all other liberation movements. The truth is that African people have led the way in the fights against colonialism, slavery, global capitalism, 
and U.S. imperialism. We not only express our solidarity, but our thanks for all of the lessons we have learned and the inspiration we have received from the AAPRPGC and all those who are waging the battle for African liberation. The Palestinian people have struggled against colonialism and empire for thousands of years, and they continue forward today. Palestine is a land and culture bridge that has linked Africa to Europe and Asia ever since Africans set foot on the first long migration to other lands. It is right and natural that African Liberation Day and Knockback Day of celebration together. Palestinian liberation is intimately and historically linked with African liberation. In the same way, internationally, we recognize that no one in the world can be free until Palestine are free. In closing today, we celebrate African Liberation Day and Inakbak Day and express our profound solidarity as we walk side by side on the path to international liberation and a better world we are all dreaming of and working towards. There was two statements that were given at the program yesterday dealing with the whole issue of revolutionary resistance and the struggle continues. So we're going to go to Sister, go to our Sister Eleanor. What can you take and how should we remember in Nakbak Day, Sister Eleanor? And Nakbak Day is uh, an essential holiday. As Brother Anthony uh, mentioned, you know, um, uh, initially uh, South Africa was offered to the Zionists as well as Uganda, and they even carved off a bit of Iraq and made a new country that was offered. It's called Kuwait. And uh, the reality is is that the Africanists fought a hard struggle to uh, uh, maintain control over South Africa while um, initiating apartheid at the same time. So uh, keep in mind that uh, these other nations could have very well been Israel today. The problem with Uganda, it was landlocked. Um, uh, the desirability of Palestine was just commercial. It's the proximity to the uh, Mediterranean. Now, the reality is uh, Israel is a military settler state. And when uh, it's not only it's not any one religion or one group of people that should be outraged over the uh, a military settler state, but it's all of humanity that should find this an outrage. And 
if it is tolerated, it makes others uh, thinking that they have a right to this type of expansion in other nations and other places. You see right now, in, uh, there's an incredible struggle in uh, southern Asia uh, for land that normally fishermen and very humble farmers have occupied for uh, centuries. But now the industrialists, the uh, capitalist imperialists are expanding, buying the land, quote, from the state and rendering these folks homeless. So a knockback day was uh, a, a turn for the worse in modern history. Just as Brother Anthony said, it could have very well have been South Africa. It could have very well have been Uganda. It could have been Kuwait. Said it was Palestine. I remember as a child, quite frankly, people used to think, why didn't we just, since they, these uh, many of them are American citizens, why didn't we just give them Montana? It was It had a limited population. Or Wyoming, it had only less than a million people. Why did we go and take some person's land, an ancient land called Palestine, and give it to a Zionist group and now deny them the rights of basic civil liberties, the right to vote? so many things that so many of us take for granted. Palestinians have no right to. And the reality is Israel is a military settler state. It has no historic uh, presence and sign. It is using violence and the and its expansionist politics to conquer Palestine backed by U.S. dollars. I thank we lost Sister Eleanor. What we're going to do right now is go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your thoughts? Well, uh, Palestine must be free. That's the that's the ultimate objective. Um, the national liberation struggle is the, still the key struggle in in the world today, um, as opposed to the socialist camp versus imperialism. And um, you know, Palestine is uh, one of the. It's, it's so clear to me uh, that um, that you know they their land was 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 confiscated and uh, and taken from them without any any consideration for their well being and uh, only some kind of narcissistic uh, um, um, you, Zionist propaganda and and uh, and uh, politics and so we faced with a situation where where they don't have a home they don't have a home um, but they they have a home, but they they're being occupied, and uh, we need to free liberate their home. Uh, I uh, 
All right, thank you, Brother Moses, for your comments. At this point in time, we're going to take a rough share culture break when we come back for the hacking and have some information about traveling to Cuba. There will be a couple other announcements, and then we will ask our panelists for their final thoughts for today's program. This is the first part of a two-part series, Disinformation and Lies. This is Africa on the Move. Stand up for your right. Stand up, stand up. 
hit the turf, walk the earth. Q kidnap your mind, Patty Hurst. But the first that'll make your ass hit reverse. Kill the curse that was placed on the universe. West Coast warlord, black it in the black night. Fuck a black and white when they ain't acting right. Good cop, good cop, feeling natural report. Bad cop action you to distort. Bad cop action you to lie in court. Send another young brother up north. Send another young sister off course. Why these motherfuckers chill on the golf course? Black police showing out for the white cop. White police showing out for the black cop. Black police showing out for the white cop. White police showing out for the black cop. Lazy cop. Fucking with that crazy cop. Always bragging about the new case they got. Do or die cop with that suicide cop. Tell the truth cop with that true lie cop. Are you fucking high cop? Don't even try cop. Ain't no motherfucking drugs up in my spot. All you find in my closet is a high top. And my motherfucking ticket to the skybox. Hold up, nigga. I'm a rider. Use a roller. Yes, the controller. Make me mad. That's when I get swollen. The incredible hocus bipolar. Come out the cup. Knock off the rust Throw my hands up so You still wanna bust The Trojan horse Is full of excessive force When they try to get aggressive Niggas off the court Black police showing out For the white cop White police showing out For the black cop Black police showing out For the white cop White police showing out For the black cop Good cop, good cop Where is your dignity? Where's your empathy? Where is your sympathy? Bad cop Where's your humanity? Good cop Is that just a fantasy? Snitch on that bitch Truth be told Motherfuck the blue code Fuck the po-po Acting like depot Already know Cracker let the brick go Black lives matter It's not shit chatter Cause all they wanna do Is scatter brain matter A mind is a terrible thing to waste A nine is terrible in your face The mace has a terrible fucking taste The pen is a terrible fucking place The kings all hate the fucking ace The judge sabotage my fucking case Racist motherfucker. Black police showing out for the white cop. White police showing out for the white cop.
letra tan criollo como que te vean y te digan, eh, para que te choquen las manos. Al final del día, dale, hablamos. Y lo que más me alegra, la gente latina siempre será gente negra. Comandante, te amo. Que Dios te bendiga. ¿Dónde está Maranta? El Amaranta y el Pinky, ¿dónde están? ¿No? La cantera. We like to welcome back to Africa on the Move. To listen to the first part of a two-part series on disinformation and lies. Right now, we like to get serious with our listening orders to our listening audience and our friends, supporters, and people who may hear this program. You know, as we do this radio program, we constantly receive numbers of people who listen to this program, which is good. But what is not good is that we have no way of connecting with our viewers and our listeners. The only way we can do that is for you to email us and let us know that you are a listener and supporter of Africa on the move. This is important because what we want to do, we have important information that we want to disperse and share and keep you updated on things that are going on around the world that you may have an interest in or need to know about. But we can't communicate that to you if we don't know how to get in contact with you. So we're asking you at the end of this program or any programs you might listen to, will you please take maybe two minutes out of your time, drop us an email saying we listen to Africa on the Move or we support Africa on the Move, period, and email that to us at Africa on the move to at gmail.com all spelled out africa on the move to at gmail.com it's important that we establish communication with our listening audience so we can give you information and share things with you that's of importance so if you can do that we will appreciate it also at this particular point in time we're going to remind you again as we participate and celebrate African Liberation Day and Palestine Day Month under the banner of the AAPRPGC, you can visit our website to listen to all of the programs that they have done so far and future programs that, are, that will be coming up. We can say from May the 22nd, they will have a dynamite program for women titled Revolutionary Women and struggle. The topic is the role of women in Revolutionary Day. That's going to be May the 22nd from 12 to 3 p.m. So please register for the webinar. Check out the website. And on Tuesday, May the 24th, there will be a program on repression, industrial complex, 
as well as clinical prison. That will take place again Tuesday, May 24th, right here on this station, Africa on the Move, from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. And on Thursday, May 26th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., we have a program called Students and Youth, Students Artist Spot. You will hear expressions and solidarity statements from students from all around the world. Tune in again from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's on the 26th of May, Thursday. And on the 27th of May, there will be a pan discussion on pan-Africanism and socialism in the 21st century. Because 21st century socialism and moving forward. That's Friday, May the 27th, from 7 to 9 p.m. That will be on a webinar. Check out the website. And, of course, on May the 28th, that is African Liberation Day, Palestine Day. That program will take live here on Africa on the Move from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And to top off the last event for this month, will be on Tuesday, May the 31st, an interview with Brother Bob Brown, who will talk about the 64 years of history of African Liberation Day, Palestine Day. So again, make notes of those dates. Try to participate. And again, we'd like to have your support. We'd like to see additional information, but we can't do that unless you communicate with us. And you can do that by just simply dropping us an email saying we listen to Africa on the Move or we support Africa on the Move. Africa on the Move to at gmail.com. We thank you. And at this point in time, Brother Hackey has an announcement where you can talk about this upcoming trip in which we are working with the African Women Association to go on a travel challenge feeding ride to Cuba. Brother Hackey, just talk a little bit on the importance of the trip and Give the people some logistical information on how they can um, find out more information. Sure. African Awareness Association will do this annual Black History Education and Cultural Challenge uh, to Cuba. Uh, this trip takes place July 23rd to July 31st, uh, 2022, leaving Cancun, Mexico. Uh, when and while in Cuba, we'll be going to visiting Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. Now, for applications, please email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two at gmail.com, African Awareness Association, number two at gmail.com, or contact us at area code 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435. To view the website, go to www.aaa-cubatools.com. And we definitely encourage people, you know, firsthand to go to Cuba and see for yourself uh, the beauty that is Cuba. Uh, one of the things is I think is extremely important for people uh, who never visit Cuba before, particularly is to, to go to the Committees for the Defense of the Revolution and actually talk to community leaders in terms of those issues that are relevant, uh, you, know, uh, you know, not just to Cuba, but relevant throughout the world. Uh, one of the things that is very, very extraordinary about the Cuban society is the openness of the people, and the people are free to express uh, whatever concerns they may have and he's a pro or con in terms of things that are taking place throughout the world, as well as situations taking place right outside in Cuba. 
So this kind of expression is, is, is good in terms of being able, you know, to deconstruct, uh, you know, from the Cuban people, uh, the kind of things that we have to do in the society in terms of our own challenges that we face right here in America. Uh, one of the things is that when we talk about society deconstructing and we talk about the inequality that exists and the disparity between the have and the have-nots in society, we all understand the tremendous uh, repercussions those things have, you know, for humanity. And understanding that it's incumbent upon African people to, to figure some way in terms of how we're going to move forward in the face of overwhelming uncertainty. So Cuba provides that clue to encourage people to go firsthand and to see Cuba for themselves. Forget about what it say, what television says. Go to Cuba for yourself. See for yourself firsthand why Cuba is such a marvelous place to to live and to visit. And your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, you know, earlier I, I talked about um, Saad, uh, Saad Barakat. I couldn't think of his name at the time. He's the chief negotiator for the Palestinians. And the reason why I brought up his name was the fact that, <clears throat> you know, um, when, I, when I think about, you know, the kind of um, a betrayal of the people's interests, you know, here in America, I think about, you know, often people like, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas, for example, you know, uh, whose position is, you know, that everything is fine, that the fundamental problem in terms of confronting the African community is the fact that African people are somehow um, um, somehow uh, uh, screwed up. And uh, this kind of thinking, you know, unfortunately is prevalent among black conservatives. And I find it un- uh, ironic that when things come about in situations that sort of um, highlight the real inadequacies that exist in society, particularly the uh, deficits, or social economic deficits that, that plague African community, these same conservatives are, uh, are strangely very, very silent in terms in the face of that kind of information. So I find that very, very strange. So clearly, the kind of opportunism that exists in the, in the mind of black conservatives is the same kind of opportunism that exists inside Paracot in terms of his betrayal of the Palestinian interests. So, so clearly, you know, we got we got we got rather problems before us. And uh, we, we need honest discourse in terms of what's going on because one of the things we got to be very clear on, whether or not we understand reality in terms of what's going on in, in this world or this country, the bottom line is that the people positions of power are going to do what they got to do to solidify and maintain their power and control. If that means fundamentally, you know, the disempowerment of the masses of people by not providing them information, then that's what they're going to do. If that means systematically wiping out large groups of people for the purposes of longevity, then that's what they're going to do. So we got some issues that we have to confront. But it starts with, first and foremost, understanding what those issues are. But just as importantly, then we have to do the work or take upon ourselves to create those organizational institutions that provide clarity for the masses of people, because that is key. And the second thing, Brother Africa, I just wanted to do just, just to acknowledge the passing of Sister Shireen Akla, uh, the Palestinian sister who was killed by the Zionists uh, in, um, in, um, in, in Israel. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, um, you know, the sister was simply doing her job, but the Zionists just want to, to, to demonstrate to the, to the world, to the Palestinian people and to the world generally, that it can do pretty much anything it wants to do whenever it wants it to do it. And so clearly, you know, her, her death is, is unfortunate. But again, you know, and when you talk about times of war, always expect the unexpected. And in saying that, in saying that, Brother Africa, I always encourage people to unravel the matrix. 
because it's key. I mean, we talk about insanity in terms of long-termism. We talk about, you know, uh, creating these transhumans. Uh, we talk about people actually existing only in the, in the, in the artificial intelligence of arena. When we talk about these kind of concepts, it's so strange and so bizarre, it's very difficult for people to appreciate the argument that's being made. But yet, this is the, this is the plan of people's positions of power for humanity. The only people who are actually are going to live on the planet are going to be the people who are very, very wealthy and powerful. So in, in terms of the masses of people, the position is that, well, the only solution for them is alternative reality in which, you know, they cease to exist physically. They only exist in their consciousness. And so we talk about nanotechnology and artificial intelligence, and we talk about those things coming to play in terms of creating a transhuman. It's very, very scary, but understand, you know, we're talking about essentially we're talking about the Matrix. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, I suggest that you go see the movie or, or the movie called The Matrix. Uh, all, all the series are very, very good in terms of, you know, the interplay between humanity and in artificial intelligence. And having said that, Brother Africa, I'll close, and you have a good night. You do the same, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, talk to me. Sure. Um, my final word for tonight is that we must get organized as a people. We must, uh, uh, there's no excuse today for any African not to belong to an organization that's working for our people's liberation. One such organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party GC. You can find out more about our program, aims, and objectives by visiting our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Or you can call us at 202-246-4896. And you can find out more information about African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, at our website as well. Thank you uh, very much for having me, and thank you to our to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. Good night. Good night, and thank you for your contributions to today's program. And we now will go to. Uh, Sister Eleanor, Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, uh, thank you for another exciting show. I'd like to uh, let our listening audience and fellow analysts know about uh, the D.C. Metro Coalition is organizing a caravan and in coalition with other caravans being organized simultaneously in other cities and states such as New York, Miami, and California around the, uh, is being organized by revolutionary organizations, coalitions, and individuals on Sunday, May 29th, 2022, starting at 1 p.m. in the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., at the corner of 18th and Columbia Road Northwest in Adams Morgan. Uh, The caravan will travel south on 18th Street until it uh, reaches U Street and it will make a left-hand turn and travel east 
on U Street until it gets to Vermont Avenue Northwest and U, where it will take a right-hand turn and hold a, a rally uh, at the African American Civil War uh, Museum or near sorry, not of the African-American Civil War Museum. And uh, the rally will be held in a small park that sits uh, in front of the African-American Civil War Museum. Now, this will be 1 o'clock Sunday, August 29th, so I urge people to come out, walk, bike, drive, but just um, invite some folks to come with you and fill your vehicle with uh, other like-minded people standing in solidarity with the Cuban, uh, with the nation of Cuba uh, and the Cuban revolution. I want to say what, uh, how great it is to see uh, the masses standing up and protecting uh, fighting for Roe versus Wade. But as Brother Ike said, we have to think about other issues such as uh, voters' rights, uh, the rights of African-American people, police violence, the prison industrial complex, and so many important things. Uh, we have to stand in solidarity with uh, all of these issues and and work together to bring about solid change. And I also just want to not forget the people in uh, Staten Island, New York, and the Amazon workers that 8,000 workers in one plant I have organized and how even though mm. Amazon is spending a fortune in union-busting tactics, retaliation, layoffs, intimidation, so many so many things, but yet they're they're standing strong. The workers are standing strong. And uh it's important that we stand strong with them and that we keep them in our in our minds and sharing the news of their success with others as well as the Starbucks workers who have also organized. And we have to understand that these corporations try to have this very Pollyanna uh, image of being uh, wholesome, but in reality, they are capitalists, they're imperialists, and they think very little of their workers. And the workers are taking control of their environment by organizing and forming unions. So I just want to thank you, Brother Africa and fellow analysts, for another wonderful show, and thank you so much for allowing me to participate. Um, We stand in, I stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Uh, It could have been any one of several other nations but unfortunately, the military settler state is occupying Palestine and has done so for decades. But we are not, the world has not turned its back on Palestine. And we are not accepting Israeli apartheid. And we will not. So with that in mind, thank you so much 
for this evening's show. Thank you, fellow panelists and listeners. And I look forward to joining you uh, later in the week as we continue to celebrate African Liberation Month. Thank you so much. Good night. Thank you. Good night, Sister Eleanor. Thank you as well for your contributions to today's program. And now we're going to go to Brother Moses and get his and get his final thoughts for tonight, Brother Moses. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, I was going to to um, present a, a, a paper I wrote on on um, the God question, and um, but uh, I guess for the lack of time. Um, and I want I, I was going to do it last Sunday actually, but um, the the Dr. Brown was so magnificent I didn't want to interrupt her with a different train of thought. And um, but anyway, um, it's been a very very productive show. Um, um, I hope that uh, we can we can. Uh, Continue this conversation next week, and I'll leave it right there. Thank you. And we'll pick up from there and say we will. This is the first part of the two-part series called Disinformation and Lies. This has been Africa on the Move, and to our listening audience again, we make a plea to you to, if you can email us, just say you listen to and you support Africa on the Move. It'd be significant so we can get in contact with you. There's no other way we can get in contact with you. Yes, we see the numbers, but the issue is there's a process in which only the station have access to you and not the creation or the creators of the radio program. We need to be in contact with our people so we can properly inform our people. We want to inform, inform you on issues and concerns that are very relevant to your well-being. So please. Take one, two minutes, type in the email. We support Africa on the Move, or we listen to Africa on the Move, and email it to us at Africa on the Move 2 at gmail.com. Until next time, remember this is a weekly program under the banner of the African Weather Association. Uh, you can view this program and listen to it every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. One of the things we want to be clear about our discussion around Palestine and Zionism today, <laughs> and we don't want to indict everyone, is to just make this simple statement. And this statement is, every Zionist is not a Jew, and every Jew is not a Zionist. And on that note, we'll continue to go forward with our topics level. If you had all the money in the world, the question is, what would you do with it? We're going to leave you with that thought. We thank you for listening and coming home this evening where we can speak truth or spoke truth to the powerless and the powerful. This is Brother Africa. Support African Liberation Day Month. Support the Tour to Cuba with the African Women's Association and come with us, Africa on the Move. And like always, Let's try to go forward, backwards level. We'll see you next week.
it's a winner. Winter in America. And all of the hillers done been killed. Sit away. Nobody knows, nobody knows. 